I want to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land in which this podcast is recorded, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, whose sovereignty was never ceded and this area's original name was Nam. We pay respect to them and their elders past, present and emerging. Okay, it is 12.24 in the morning. <laughs> we have just finished editing this audio. Shh. And we just have to quickly say one, a trigger warning for this episode because we will be talking about mental health, depression and suicide. And on the same note, we have a show in the comedy festival (laughs) that we keep forgetting to plug. So if you would like to come and see it. That's a natural segue, isn't it? Yeah, they're very on par with one another, obviously. (laughs) If you want to feel depressed, come over to our comedy. No, sorry, what? Yeah, uh, you can get tickets. Um, at annieandbianca.com.au and Bianca is spelt with a K because my parents wanted to be difficult. Okay. And also they're Croatian. That's not fair in your mom and dad. Mm. It is a K. Mm. Um, enjoy this episode. I'm so glad that we got in the f- our ad that we missed on the <laughs> other very two. professional ad that we've put in. Just please go buy tickets. Buy tickets, please. Come and watch me do the things. <laughs> that, uh, this thing wakes me up at night. <laughs> Give me, gives me anxiety. Do you know, I don't even want to be in the comedy festival. But this is Bianca's dream. And somehow, just like fucking everything, I get roped along. Yeah. And then I end up laying in bed with my eyes wide open, mm. looking at the ceiling going, how yeah. did I get here? Oh, it's caused me no and like no end of stress. It's just <laughs> just like constant stress. So come along, get tickets. Yeah, oh, and, so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's going to be, it is going to be. It's going to be bloody right. It's going to be wonderful. <laughs> You're listening to We Want to Be Better. It's a little mini series, babe. (laughs) Oh, hello. I know you're not used to hearing my voice up top. It's usually Bianca's, isn't it? Because this podcast was set out to be about her and not me, Annie. I'm meant to be the supportive best friend helping her friend with addiction. When I suggested that we do this podcast about Bianca's story, I thought that I would provide the finer details, you know, being that I am her in real life best friend. I was there to see much of what she went through, actually much of which she doesn't even have memory of. I was meant to provide the reflections of Bianca like uh, how I provided her with adult incontinence pants once because her drinking became so out of control and, yes, she kept wetting the bed and uh, I was the only friend that had them because I was also the only friend that had had children. I suppose it's not something to be proud of now. The visual representation in my mind of what this podcast was was kind of like Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith on the red carpet. Look, we were a couple, but I had my arms outstretched going, ta-da, hoping that you'd all listen to Bianca's story because she kicked alcohol's butt. And yeah, I was there, but I wasn't the star of this show. Oops, there's my turn. I accidentally was the happy byproduct of Bianca going sober. Bianca's battle was an outward one. Everybody knew about it. It was just like her, actually. Bold and effervescent, show-stoppingly catastrophic at times. It was like watching the gladiators in a coliseum or tennis players in a tie-break in the fifth set. It was back and forth and consuming to witness. Her battle was a very outward one. But what was happening to me was poisonously quiet. So quiet I didn't even realise it had snuck up on me. Like venom in my veins or arsenic slipped into my dinner. Or even simply forgetting to breathe. My battle was inside of me and dangerously silent. We often have a perception of what mental illness looks like. Someone who can't smile, can't get out of bed, struggles to get dressed. I've done all those things too. But sometimes it's also the person there along for the ride, faking joy. I was a high-functioning person, seemingly living life to the full while simultaneously wanting to die.
I have been diagnosed with PTSD, clinical depression and PMDD. Things I have grappled with since I was young and yet not related to alcohol. For the first few years of battling mental health, I thought I just have to get through this and it'll be over. But I've come to realise it's something I'll most likely have to manage throughout my life. A chronic illness of my own, I suppose. And the truth be told, I'm so smug at the moment because this is the happiest I have ever been. I'm not naive though. The metaphorical tide goes out and I'm well. Then it comes back in with an overwhelming tidal wave, which stays for a while and I feel exhausted from treading water. That's how my mental illness works. But there are things I can do to help me stay afloat. For example, medication was like a life raft for me. What also helped me was realising that the wave of depression that hit me after consuming alcohol was like a nasty rip. It would hold me underwater for longer and thrash me around. I came seriously close to drowning from my post-alcohol depression. I had somehow been manipulated into thinking drinking was self-care. How? After so many years of being selfless, whether it was looking after three kids or prioritising my husband and his career, it appeared to be kind to cheers my efforts and take time for myself. It's joked about online that mums love a drink or there's no glass big enough for us and all the shit that we have to put up with. Ha ha ha. I deserved this glass of wine, I would tell myself. I didn't have to share it like every bite of my lunch. Wine o'clock, baby. But all it did was make parenting harder. I know that now. My mental illness sometimes meant that I would reach for a drink to numb the thoughts in my brain. To throw caution to the wind because I was ambivalent about whether or not I wanted to live or die. So drinking seemed like a happy medium. But the thoughts weren't ever numbed. They just became more unreasonable and my ability to control and rationalise them became unmanageable. Other times, there was only the feeling of numbness with my mental illness. Sometimes I would feel like shit but wouldn't be able to cry. Other times I would cry but I couldn't even feel. Alcohol was the hope of change of emotion. It was just the hope of being able to feel. It would alter my state of mind for me because I struggled to do it myself. That's how I felt anyway. Alcohol isn't and wasn't the cause of my mental illness. But it certainly accelerated me towards having a depressive episode. It made me depressed for longer and increased the intensity of the depression. The night after my last drink, I remember not having the energy to lick away the tears as they fell into my mouth. I only had the energy to move my thumbs as I would write disturbing questions into Google and instead of results, crisis numbers would pop up because even Google was worried about me. I sat by myself in the dark, morning life as the sun came up yet again and I had had no sleep. And damn it, I saw Bianca the next day and watching her silly, annoying, cute little smug face, all loving life, I decided to stop self-sabotaging and consciously try to heal. One of the ways to do that was having a spell from alcohol. I'd do it in solidarity with Bianca and the new challenges that she was having to go through. And if it worked out for me, that would be amazing. Because ultimately, it's okay to feel sad when things are sad, but I deserve resilience. And it's okay to feel fear when things are to be feared, but I also deserve peace. It's okay to sleep in or stay up late, but sometimes we need rest, balance and routine. It's okay to despair when things are hard, but I deserve to keep on living. And it's okay to drink alcohol if it's serving you, but it was no longer serving me. And so that was it.
There's pure darkness, nothingness, and then suddenly I'm pulled into consciousness. Where am I? What happened last night? I blink, slowly trying to comprehend how I got home. I can't remember anything, to be honest. Did I get an Uber? Did Palmer come get me? What the fuck happened? The nausea hits me and I start to notice how terribly sore my head is. Ugh, I stink. My throat hurts. I no doubt smoked an entire deck of ciggies last night, for fuck's sake. I always chain smoke when I'm drinking. I close my eyes and try to run through the events from the previous evening. But there's nothing there. I look for my phone, making sure I posted nothing embarrassing last night. (sighs) Thank God there's nothing on my story. I go to my banking app to check my bank balance. Ah, yeah, just as I suspected. I blew all my money. Now I have $22 to last me until payday. Why do I always act like I have so much money and can afford to shout everyone drinks? Who the fuck do I think I am? P. Diddy. I put my phone down. I don't want to look at my messages. I don't want to hear from anyone. I'm too ashamed. Part of me wants to message the friends I was with last night to make sure they aren't mad at me. Because I feel like they must be. I can't remember anything, so I fill those gaps with fear and paranoia. I have a feeling of dread in my stomach. Ugh, I just feel like shit. I pick up my pillow and move to the couch. I turn on the TV and lay down. May as well get comfortable, as I won't be moving from here today. I keep my phone very far away from me all day. It's as though keeping it away from me will keep me hidden, keep me in the shadows. Let me wallow in my pit of misery and shame where no one can see me. I can't communicate with anyone in this state because communication requires being myself and I am not myself right now. I'm an empty shell at the moment. I'm pathetic. Who even am I? Why can't I control myself like everyone else can? Do you think everyone else woke up like this today? No, 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 it's just me. It's me because I'm the loudest and the most obnoxious and just a hedonistic monster and everyone is sick of it and clearly hates me. I'm the worst. I'm a fucking fake, that's what I am. Ugh, I make myself sick. Honestly, does anyone even like me? No, probably not. Fuck, why would they? God, that seems like a lifetime ago. Those mornings, those entire days where I'd lie on my couch feeling like a pile of shit hiding away from the world, I am so glad those days are over. Those days were frequent, far too frequent. I'd get blackout drunk several times a week and it really started taking its toll. The hangovers were bad, sure. I mean, vomiting so bad that I burst the capillaries in my face was bad, yeah. But emotionally, those hangovers were killing me. They were killing my spirit, chipping away at my soul. Alcohol was incredibly bad for my mental health. Ah, here, oh, we was, here, we, here we are. Sorry, here well, we are. Here we are. And I have just for the most part laid myself bare for this podcast. And now it's come time to discuss mental health, which very much, as Annie said in the introduction, is about her struggle with alcohol. And she is sitting here like a timid little mouse, not wanting to record this because she says she feels too vulnerable. What's that? Well, <laughs> I actually don't – we'll just see. We haven't actually put all of the podcast together yet. No, we haven't. I don't want to put the next (laughs) thing in. Annie doesn't want to put the next thing in. Actually, I don't know. It's – look, we definitely need to talk about mental health because alcohol is so often overlooked in the discussion about mental health because we're all big mental health advocates. It's very much, you know, we're like, take your mental health days, look after yourself, you do you, boo. But for some reason, alcohol sort of just like skates by without people sort of addressing the fact that it is damaging to your mental health because it's a depressant, right? And you've had a struggle with mental health. And as I said in the intro, alcohol was really bad for my own mental health. So I think that we really need to talk about it. And I think that you'll need to be brave. And I know it's difficult, but I think it's really important. I'm really good at writing and stuff about it. Mm. I'm actually just not that good at talking about it. I'm going to tell what's happened. I'm going to tell the story. So 
basically I got sober first and alone, all on my own. And oh, I was there. I mean, you were there. Your... Are you fucking joking? For a period of time, <laughs> I was the only one that knew. Yeah. yeah. I know what you're saying. You were you stopped drinking and I didn't stop drinking. Yes, that's what I meant. Yeah, okay, right. So I had you stopped drinking. It sound and like you fucking locked yourself away in a little dungeon. To be honest, I kind of did for a couple of days. I was there the whole time. <laughs> I'm starting to feel like maybe you don't notice that I'm hanging around. Yeah, no. Look, okay, so I was sober and Annie and I had plans for a Saturday morning. We were going to go to dance class together and we just started doing pole dance. So it was all exciting. And I messaged her and said, I'll pick you up in like 20 minutes. And Annie replied and said, I'm really sorry, but I only just got home and I'm not feeling very good. I stayed out all night and I thought, oh, here we go. Like this is going to be what I have to get used to, right, as a sober person. Like all my friends just bailing out on plans on the weekend. Like I'll get used to that. And Annie messaged me and said, I think I need to stop drinking too because this is really bad for me and I don't feel good and I don't feel in a good headspace. And I said, all right, well, you need to harness that and get in the studio and record exactly how you're feeling so that when you do feel tempted to have a drink next time, you can listen back to that. And she did. And your face right now is not. It's just so fucking cringeworthy and it's so uncomfortable to listen to. We're going to play it. Just a bit of it because I think it's really – I think that you say some very important things and I, I really want the listeners to hear it. So if you'll allow well, us – We'll have a chat off air and we'll, <laughs> we'll come It might be we'll on see. next. We'll see. Well, it might. But – Okay. <laughs> well, I just feel really uncomfortable about it. Once I put this out into the world, that's it. Mm. I'm not trying to like – I'm not doing some fucking radio thing where I'm big – Bigging this up or anything like that, I actually feel really uncomfortable about doing it. It's really, and I know it's really shit because you've fucking given heaps of this podcast and you've gone out of your way and you've been so vulnerable and stuff. But I just feel like a big fucking loser, and I am getting <laughs> sweats even thinking about this going out into the world. And fuck, I just. I would hate to think of like people, I know it sounds silly and I shouldn't care what anyone thinks of me, but like people laughing at it or something because it was so crap. Mm. It's hard to explain. No, I totally understand how you I feel. just felt so fucking alone and I wasn't. I was surrounded by people, but th- that didn't really count. I can't even really explain it still. I know. Mm, I, know. I know that you feel alone, but I think... A lot of other people will feel exactly the way that you felt in that moment. And I think that by sharing it with people, you'll be helping people to understand that they're not alone. Yeah, I know. So can we play it? All right, here you go. It is the 13th of July. Um, It's 20 to 1 in the middle of the day. Uh, oh God, my brain scrambled 13th of July 2019 and yeah, it's 12.38pm and uh, I've never done a recording for this proposed idea that my best friend and I have. Um, she has... Uh, she has decided to give up drinking and <laughs> she's annoying as fuck now because she seems to have seen the light and, yeah, and maybe that's just really confronting for me now as someone that never thought that I had um, any problem with drinking at all. I I feel like I'm extremely tame. Um, I'm doing a lot of self-analysing about alcohol in my life. Anyway, I suppose the reason that I'm sitting in front of the microphone is that I feel like fucking shit and I drank last night. Today I cancelled going dancing with Bianca. I like can't even fucking talk. I can't even talk straight. Um, I had a dance class at 11.30 and I was meant to go to it but I had to cancel on Bianca because I went drinking last night, didn't I? And I couldn't make it. I couldn't get out of bed. And Bianca said to me, make sure you write down all your feelings and how you're feeling. So instead of doing that, I thought I'd just sit in front of the microphone. Um, 
now it's re- and and I'm I'm surprised because I'm finding it actually really hard to even talk. Like I can't even keep my thoughts straight. I'm like not even coping within my own brain. Um, I suppose my thoughts are that I'm fucking depressed. I make really bad choices when I drink. Not really bad choices. No, in fact, I think that I would even categorise myself as a fun person to be around when I drink. But I just don't know when to call quits. Um, last night, I decided to go out drinking with a friend that is going through something uh, difficult in her life. And I don't know what it is, but instead of going out and uh, like just going out for dinner or going to a house and talking, we end up um, we end up going to a bar and like drinking, don't we? So then it turns into us getting smashed and just continuing to drink the night away. I've not contact my husband because all of my responsibilities goes out the window. I'm reckless. I'm like a fucking child and I've got three children and I'm pretty pissed off at myself. That's my phone. Um, and I don't even know. I don't even know why I'm sitting in front of this fucking microphone. Like maybe one day I... Maybe this podcast will never happen, but maybe maybe one day I'll just listen to it back before I go out and maybe I might make a different choice. I don't even know why I'm doing this. I I just want to remind myself of how depressed I am and, well, alcohol is a depressant, isn't it? And now I sit here on a Saturday and I've ruined my weekend with my children. I've made my husband so upset I couldn't get out of bed this morning and I became really anxious as he ran around doing all of the housework and everything and I I physically couldn't get out of bed and then my kids come over to me they've done drawings and I can barely even give them my time even though it's the weekend and and the weirdest thing is is that I would never call myself someone that has a bad relationship with alcohol. Never, never. I don't. Like, in my mind, I don't. Um, But, like, maybe I do. (laughs) And now I'm fucking angry because my kids just wanted to play with me. I needed to set my weekend up so that their week was going to run smoothly, do all the housework and change the bed linen and all those things that will mean that the rest of the week goes easier for us. And no, it's not going to happen, is it? And do you know what I fucking did? Because I have a a way of doing this. I drink and then I find that I find the one fucking person that is so opposite to me in the room and engage in ridiculous, Ridiculous political discourse. Um, Essentially, I wasted my fucking time last night talking to someone that was never going to see my point of view, that was never going to agree with me, that only felt made me feel enraged, that only made me fucking despair about the world, and I and I, I will never be friends with. I will probably never see again. And I chose to spend time with that fucking person rather than my kids. And, like, if I want to waste my time arguing with people that don't agree with me, there's the internet. I can just sit in bed and waste my time on dickheads. But it's like I become arrogant with alcohol that, like, someone they're going to listen to me more or something. Anyway... Um, I just don't know. How are you feeling? I couldn't listen to it. Anyway, it'll go out to the world and... Look, 
I'm really proud. It's just shit because I know that people are like, oh, you'll be, you're so brave and blah, blah, blah. I can already see what I'm going to get. I know. And like I, I know I, I know if it was anyone else, I would probably say the same thing and I would be so taken by it. But for me, it just feels like, I don't know, sometimes I worry that people like would look at me and think, how could you be, I know this is not how mental health works, but like, how could you be depressed? You've got like gorgeous kids, lovely husband, an average best friend. No, I'm joking. <laughs> how did <laughs> I get dragged into this? Um, like clearly the best pets in the world. Mm. How the fuck, you know, you're all colours and sunshines and rainbows. How, how do you sound? I don't know. But don't you think that that's so important? that people know that like it's so hard to explain because I feel so conflicted because I am so privileged maybe I just need to like reframe that to think okay well no mental health doesn't have anything really to do with privilege but the way to get out of it it is easier if you've got privilege I suppose like for me it was like healthcare and stuff and going on medication and whatever and in terms of alcohol I um, you know, I I never grew up with like alcoholic parents or anything like that. So it is a little bit easier for me for sure. But I just I don't worry that people think that I don't know, I'm a brash or something. So there's two things in that case that I want to talk about. Is that first of all, the reason that we're playing this audio is because yes, you are vulnerable, but also it so perfectly describes how low you were feeling at that point. And the reason that it's important to play it is because I think a lot of other people feel that exact same way. So like that is really important. And also just remember that that's not who you are anymore. Mm. That was a moment in time. And that was when you just woken up from a big night. Nah, I didn't wake up. There was no sleep. Okay. So there you go. Because like my like anxiety and stuff is just like out of control. So what we know about alcohol is that it does affect your mental health. And for me, like it, I just can't explain this enough. It was one glass, like not that night. That night wasn't. That's why it was so extreme. But for me, it was like hardly anything to do that. I don't think I don't think you're the only person that feels that way, Annie. The anxiety is a real thing, as we will you know, discuss and there's stuff in the show notes about that. But anxiety is real. And I think so many people do wake up the day after drinking and think, why have I done this to myself again? I guess this is what this episode is about, is showing that for your mental health, alcohol wasn't helping you. And Mm. I mean, for me personally, I used to wake up and have these fucking horrific hangovers and it would take me days to get over it because I would just feel like a piece of shit and I felt like such a fake. And it stopped me from working. Like I couldn't record podcasts with you because I would literally be like well why would anyone want to hear me talk I'm like a pathetic failure right like I would feel that way and I was quite like mental health wise pretty on the up and up like I don't have depression I don't have anxiety to even hear that you (laughs) that you ever felt that way is like a shock to me (laughs) right yeah you are confidence overload right so I felt that way And I also thought I was the only one that felt that way, I want to say. I really felt that I was the only person that woke up feeling that way the day after a night out. And it wasn't until I read that book, The Girl on the Train, where they describe the blackouts and how you feel this dread. Because we know that alcoholics will often admit to a crime, like the morning after, um, if they've been accused of a crime, because they actually don't remember. And you just have this feeling of dread and you feel like you've done the wrong thing and you'll admit to a crime that you're actually innocent of because you just assume that you're guilty like you feel that shit about yourself so it wasn't until I learned all of this that I thought okay so it's not just me but I can't imagine how bad you must have felt because I do feel really guilty a lot of the time Annie that you probably drank more because of me because there was never really time that I would be around you sober and I guess I would probably encourage you to drink and you probably drank more because of me. And I just feel really guilty that I dragged you down into those mornings. Fuck, it was just like Thelma and Louise, wasn't it? Just fucking driving off into the sunset. Because (laughs) I like, I probably, you know, you tried for me so many times when you know I was depressed and you try and talk me out of it. And then I tried for you so many times with drinking and stuff and being the friend that sort of stuck their neck out and said, hey, do you think that you've got a problem? But then the pair of us would end up just going kind of fuck it together. 
Yeah, alcohol yeah. definitely got the better of the both of us in many instances. And I think the toll it took on my own mental health, I mean, obviously I would was probably having more of those hangovers than you were and the, mm. the severe depressions. I think, though, coming out of that, my own mental health, like just writing that intro monologue that I was writing before and recorded and that is on this podcast, it really was like a, a lifetime ago because I haven't mm. felt that way in a really long time and I haven't had that that dread and that depression and just this cloud of shame around me. And I feel really good that I don't have that anymore. My mental health mm. is much better. How is your mental health improved? Drastically. <laughs> I'm not even the same person. I was thinking about this actually today. I was thinking how much more productive I have been and how much more I've been able to enjoy things. And since stopping drinking, I haven't had a major depressive episode at all. I still haven't had one. I just feel happier. I get up earlier. I sleep better. Mm -hmm. I got another job and I've been working that, which I love so much. I have all this ambition. I do so much now. I was like calculating how much I have made in just like the last two months, just financially. In the last two months, I made more than the year before. In the last two months. Yeah, that's... Like what in the hell? I know. I'm the same in the sense of... Not necessarily like, uh, yes, I am more productive and I do more things now, but I also am more productive in just self-care in the sense that I got health insurance, which is something I would never do. And I went to the dentist yesterday, which is, it's just like when you take this step of not having alcohol, you finally feel like you can actually start looking after yourself. It's really weird. Well, I started seeing a regular psychologist as well. It's almost like I never prioritised myself. I never prioritised self-care in the sense of actual self-care, right? So like, you know, I'd have a bubble bath and a face mask and be like, self-care Saturday. But it was, you know, actual self-care of taking care of myself and being like, hey, I really like being alive and I want to do the best for my body and I want to do the best for my brain. I want to do the best. I want to get the best out of my life. That only ever happened since I stopped drinking because it's almost like the drinking just kept me stagnant, just kept me stalemate. And really did keep me in this just depressive state. It's just really crazy to me that I was a confident person. And I think, fuck, this is hard to say, but as much as I was a confident person and I really did love myself at that point, having those depressive episodes and those mornings afters definitely did chip away at that. But I think there's this newfound love that I have for myself now where Mm. I stand on my own two feet and I am my own person and I know... I'm aware of everything that I'm saying. I'm aware, like, you know, I have a conscience now. I wasn't fucking present Mm. before. That has helped my mental health and confidence in ways that I could never have described before. I don't know if it's the same for you. Yeah, it's 100% the same for me. Even for my relationship, I feel like I used to think that self-care was probably, really, the only time I ever drank was with you. And I know Mm. that sounds awful. Um, but oh, yeah. you were like, I to take me, full responsibility. My self care was hanging out with you because to me, that was my reward. I fucking loved you and I was like, yay. And it was nearly always at your house. So I'd be like, yay. My self care is like having some time away from my kids and all the demands because fuck everyone is so reliant on me. Everyone is just yelling and pulling me all these different ways. My self care is to go and hang out with you. And somewhere in there got confused that alcohol was a part of that. Like sometimes I wouldn't even think to drink, but I'd sit down and then you would come out, you got your wine with the fucking ice cubes in it and you'd just pass it to me and I'm like, oh fuck, this is like routine. Yeah. This is just, I didn't even really think about it. But what would happen is then I'd feel shit and then I'd feel depressed and then I couldn't really function and stuff. And I know it sounds silly and relationships shouldn't work like this, but I would always feel like I was in debt to Liam because I would go out And even though it wasn't like out on the town, it was out from the house Mm -hmm. and he would look after the children. But then the next day I wasn't really a happy person. I was really sad and miserable and I couldn't do much and tired. And then I was constantly catching up. And then I just felt like I was always sort of falling behind and I was 
the parent that was lacking or something. But obviously that was also mental health related. I just felt inadequate in my life. But since then I feel when you were saying stand on my own two feet, I feel that I really, really stand on my own two feet now. I'm so much more ambitious. I also feel so much more confident to, like in my relationship, I feel more confident to put up boundaries and, I mean, I went on strike for Christmas, those silly things that have always bugged me, but because I always felt in debt and that I wasn't good enough, I didn't feel like I could ask for help either. I felt like, okay, well, I'm a useless piece of shit and I do this and that and that's my reward. I'll, you know, my reward is just like going out once a week, seeing Bianca, whatever, but all the rest is up to me. I'm in charge of everything else. I have to do the house cleaning and I have to do all the kids stuff and all of that. And I can't ask for any help because Annie, you're just shit. And now I feel like I actually can ask for help because I'm not useless and I can go and, you know, work a better job and different responsibilities and commitments outside of the family too. My self-worth isn't diminished because it was a vicious cycle. My self-worth was shit and then, you know, have alcohol combined in that because I felt shit but then I couldn't get out of it because like, anyway, it was like a continuing cycle. Mm. And now I, I do, I feel so much better but... It's really complicated and I still feel it really hard to talk about. The other thing is, is that Liam's had his own mental health for a really, like quite a while. He's been battling his own stuff and it just became so hard for me. I know that sounds so fucking selfish and for ages I was like completely fine about it. But then the year before I quit drinking over that year leading up to me quitting drinking, it just got worse and worse and worse. And because I was tired, I was so fucking tired. And all I kept thinking of, when is my time going to happen? I gave everything to raising my kids and everything to helping Liam through his concussion and everything. And I thought I was right on the cusp of having like my life back. My kids were going to go to school. Liam was going to retire, whatever. But then it turns out, okay, you've got a husband with a brain injury and it's really hard and it's really complicated. He's really unwell himself. So I just felt like shit. I felt like, okay, well, I'm never going to be a priority. So me always escaping to you was my thing. It was like my habit where I would just leave. And then because you had a drinking problem, that (laughs) just meant that alcohol was always in it. That's just the unfortunate way that it sort of rolled. And I, I mean, I should have been like stronger too. I should have no. been, but yeah, it's just fucking. I think though, like you were very strong, Annie. Mm. I know that you would just rolled your eyes at me, but I do remember one afternoon we were sitting at my house and you had a little bit of a breakdown, not even a big one, just like a little one. And my heart fucking broke. And I was like, holy shit. This poor person who has been sitting next to me, who I think is like the, clo- I'm probably other than my husband, like obviously is the closest person in my life. And I'm like, I have not even fucking heard you this entire time. Like you have been struggling and I haven't even fucking been there. I felt so bad. I felt everything in my life, all I wanted was for you to be happy. Like that's all I wanted. And I look back at that now and I think, at that exact moment I think I handed you a glass of fucking wine and I just think if I'd only known Mm. that was definitely the wrong thing to do yeah it doesn't help and that was just my way of that I did things then and I just I think that's like 99.9 percent of people like Mm. in this country I know it's like the second someone like my boyfriend broke up with me like grab a glass of wine like the girls are going out I know I know it's it although the thing is as well like obviously you know I do think that drinking is not good for your mental health. I think uh, just because it is a depressant and it's a toxic substance, but also it makes you feel really shit the next day. But also, <laughs> but also there is something to be said about forcing yourself to do things sober and then getting that reward of I just did that on my own and forming closer relationships and having being more present in your own life mm-hmm. and in your relationships. That also helps your mental health. Yeah. So like there's... A lot of pluses I feel to mental health with sobriety or, or, you know, I think that alcohol, I just, I just feel that alcohol is never really brought up in the scope of the mental health scene. I think that we all talk about mental health and which is great. It's so important, but I think that we're sort of being sold this thing of like, well, you know, one or two glasses, all right for the antioxidants, but 
maybe it's not that way. Maybe we need to start looking at the fact that maybe alcohol is a bit of a hindrance on our mental health. Anyway, we have oh, an interview with, <laughs> we have Jill Stark, who we spoke about, about mental health. She is the author of a book called High Sobriety, where she took a year off drinking. She used to work at The Age. She was a health reporter. She was a health reporter while simultaneously being a binge drinker. And she's a really great woman. And she came in to talk And to also us. she was an absolute legend during the marriage equality yes. stuff. I just wanted to add that. She was named Ally of the Year. Yeah. Yeah. She's a all-round legend. She's a legend. Yeah. So she came in to talk to us and this is our interview with her. I did a number of stories of dozens and dozens of stories for the age when I was covering alcohol as kind of my round at the time mm. before I outed myself as the binge drinking health reporter writing <laughs> yeah. about binge drinking, <laughs> which is a great way to sell a book. But it was, you know, the, I was doing story after story about the, the social impacts of this proliferation of license, like licenses were just handed out like confetti for, and bottle shops as well. Bottle shops are particularly problematic. Bottle shops have been growing in areas with the with very low socioeconomic areas disadvantaged areas will have more bottle shops than than those than well more well-to-do suburbs mm. so you know there's a real issue there and there's there's been community fighting back against the sort of social impact of having unfettered access to a drug that we know is so harmful and then you get obviously the pushback of saying well people it's all about personal responsibility and you would know as well as I do Bianca that alcohol is a very powerful addictive drug and it's not as simple as oh well just choose to drink or not drink and particularly if your life circumstances are particularly difficult Mm. and challenging then people will turn to alcohol because people use it as an anesthetic and it's very cheap and available so yeah on my soapbox but I think that we do have to sort of think of alcohol differently and not see it as as just any other item that you would buy at the supermarket that's a good point I think I know that I'm going to sound like an abolitionist being like, you know, we need to get rid of it. But it's not so much that. It's more I just want people to understand the dangers involved in it because it is an addictive substance. Well, I think it's a conversation that we don't have because and I noticed this when I had that year off the booze is that it's so socially acceptable that the way that we drink in this country and in Scotland where I grew up where it's a very much a binge drinking culture and when you sort of opt out of that you do get a lot of pushback because no one really wants to look at that culture because it's uncomfortable and and people can get defensive about it but realistically this drug if it was put on the market right now would never be given a license it's more dangerous than probably and this is a controversial view but I actually do think it's actually a lot more dangerous and it certainly causes more deaths than some of the drugs that are currently illegal I don't think that's controversial no isn't that just factual yeah yeah, it's factual yeah yeah speaking of the dangers involved because this is something that I yeah I read about in your book and I and I when I learned about this is that alcohol can cause cancer which was new to me. And I actually don't think a lot of people do know that. Nine, 9% of people know that. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I remember, this is how silly I am, I remember an ad coming on on the television like years and years ago and it was it was a government ad and someone poured a glass of red wine and the red wine trickles down and it becomes all of the veins in the person's body and it's like, you know, alcohol is getting into your veins and it can cause cancer or whatever. And I laughed at it and I was like, government got their facts wrong. Like, (laughs) I I don't think you'll realise, like, alcohol doesn't cause cancer. And I held this belief for so long. I thought it was no damage done whatsoever. I mean, like, yeah, your liver takes a bit of a beating but there's no actual damage. False. Um, It's very damaging. I I mean, I I was a health reporter writing about alcohol that was my actual job and I had no idea until I started writing that book that alcohol is a group one carcinogen and what that means is it's in the same category as tobacco asbestos and uv radiation so the same as you know going on a sunbed or smoking a pack of winnie blues um <laughs> I'll take winnie red yeah. thanks <laughs> <laughs> so and I just didn't, I was like, what? Like you, I was like, you got, that can't yeah, be that right. Yeah, that can't be right. But, and, in, and in recent years, and I don't, I don't say this to freak people out, it's just the cold hard truth, unfortunately. And for women in particular, binge drinking is actually pretty dangerous. So a recent study in the Medical Journal of Australia a couple of years ago showed that one in five cases of breast cancer are directly linked to alcohol. So, you know, for me with breast cancer on both sides of my family, 
binge drinking, particularly now in my 40s, seems like a particularly high stakes game of Russian roulette Mm. where, you know, I don't smoke anymore because I knew how dangerous that was. But because alcohol, again, we have this sort of social license to see it as part of our identity, part of what we need as a social lubricant. We can't fathom it being dangerous. In the, We know it's dangerous to get in a car and drive on alcohol, but the idea that every drink could be causing you damage in the same way as every cigarette. And also the, the alcohol industry has been very clever in putting a lot of money behind those studies, you know, that are like two glasses of red wine a week will really help oh, your heart. The antioxidants. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, there are other ways to get antioxidants yeah. that don't involve poison like yeah. there's and it's and it's not it's not the same when i say that every drink is causing you damage that's that's not the same it's not like every glass of alcohol is the same as a cigarette but there's a direct link between breast cancer and, and a whole range of other cancers i might add it basically anything around the mouth area because alcohol actually causes that in the same way as cigarette know, smoking yeah. so it's, it's any ingested. like anything in the sort of top mm. from your kind of neck up there are a lot of cancers linked to that so and again i'm not a doctor so go and look that up but there's the, the, the doctors that i speak to in my book yeah are pretty clear on this and again nine percent of the australian public were aware of this fact back when i wrote that book you know maybe mm. nine years ago now i don't know if that's really changed much since then no i had no idea i really want to talk about what you speak about in your book which is a social contract because I mean, for me personally, I learnt very quickly into sobriety that one-on-ones where the other person is drinking and I'm not drinking doesn't work. In a group setting, it's fine if I'm the only sober one because they bounce off each other. But when it's one-on-one, it's very uncomfortable. And I think you described it really well about it being a social contract. This is what I realised when I stopped drinking was when we drink, it's an unwritten contract that we're going to lose our inhibitions together and that we will... It's about vulnerability, you know, and... And vulnerability is fine when it's shared, but when you feel like you're out there with your ass hanging in the wind and the other person is, is has still got their guard up, that's when I, I feel that there's a disconnect there. And I notice this. I don't have the same issue now, I think maybe because I've, I've done it for longer, but I don't feel that as strongly as, as you're describing it. But I did initially, I remember going out with a friend and I'd been invited to government house to some garden party and it was all very fancy and I was in my, you know, fine dress and stuff and, sitting there drinking my boring soda water like why don't they give us better glasses oh, that's the thing yeah. that really shits me why can't I have a champagne glass why do yeah. I have to have an ugly flat tumbler just because I'm drinking a soft drink can yeah. you that shit out like <laughs> all right anyway sitting there with my ugly tumbler in my finery and it was a beautiful day like today it was very sunny and summery and I said to my friend oh we should go to a rooftop bar because that's what we would do had mm. we both been drinking exactly. and, and and she looked really sheepish and she said and I said, what's wrong? Like, just tell me. It's somebody I've known for years. And she said, I just feel like we're going to be on a different level and I feel exposed because you're you're not drinking and I am. And I was like, oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. I hope you don't think I'm judging you. She said, no. And so we went, we did end up going to a beer garden. We hung out for a bit. And it wasn't until later in the night where we caught up with this larger group of friends. She looked like, you know, she'd been an exiled refugee sort of coming back to her tribe you know right. she, she just looked suddenly relaxed that she was around people who were drinking and I just thought that's so interesting what I promised myself during that year now that I'm sober again I'm I'm sort of reminding myself that I make a promise to myself that I will be just as vulnerable if not more than I would be if I was drinking so all that shit you say when you're drunk I love you I really love you you're my best friend <laughs> yeah. right if I'm going to do that drunk I need to have the balls to say that because if, if I'm only saying because I'm drunk, is it actually real? And I want to actually tap into what I really feel. Oh, that's that's so that's fun. very vulnerable. I don't know if I can be that. But I think you, well, yeah. I mean, that's what I really love about sobriety. There's many challenges to it, but what I love is the ability to to really connect with people and know that it is completely untainted the sincerity? by sincerity yeah it's yeah. so authentic yeah it's so real and when it happens it's overwhelming it's yeah and I'm not saying that you know those moments when you're drunk aren't real but you do sometimes wake up going oh would she have said that if she was you know maybe are we that close or what should I oh I should have shouldn't have said that like 100%. I've gone too far one of my know? friends asked me to be their bridesmaid oh. and she was wasted <laughs> yeah, and right? I knew 
because I do stupid things when I'm drunk. I was like, like I'm. So you can take this back. Yeah, if you I want. was like, I'm never bringing it up with her again yeah. because she didn't mean that. You know, she was drunk. She's probably sitting there thinking, I hope Bianca doesn't think that I actually want her to be a bridesmaid. So I was like, I'll never bring it up because I hate when I say something drunk and someone brings takes you up on the offer the next day. And you're like, <laughs> No, that was a mistake. Like, uh, if you couldn't tell. And my other friend just kept saying, like, Oh, you're a bridesmaid too, so you're gonna have to come to this. And I was like, No, 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 no. I was like, Until that offer is made sober, it is not a real offer. That tell you though right like that's that's what I mean like I think that some of the most profoundly moving moments I've had have been sober because I've made myself say the things that I might otherwise not think well what, what am I what do I want from this friendship from mm. this relationship I want honesty I want connection do I have to be six wines deep before that happens when it comes to friendship if it is a real friendship and you are benefiting by being sober, surely your friends should feel happy for you because isn't that the ultimate thing in a friendship? You just want your friend to be happy. Yeah. And I think when I explain to people why I'm not drinking, there's no argument. I struggle with my mental health and giving up alcohol has been, apart from therapy, has been the single most helpful thing that I have done for my mental health in the whole time I've been alive, I think. Um, so drinking and good mental health for me certainly at this point in my life maybe at some point in my life that will change but at the moment they just don't work so let's talk about yeah, let's that get because real. let's get into <laughs> mental health because Annie you also don't drink and it's and it's helped your mental health too yeah because Annie had a really bad time and I was sober at this point. Annie and I had plans and she'd gone out the night before and she woke up and she was like, B, I'm, I think I have to stop drinking. Like I feel really shit. And she had a really I'm low- a month behind B. Yeah. No. I'm one month behind B. No. And like, yeah, and you don't even really go out and drink that much, but you just had the night I don't, away yeah. from you. I would say that like your relationship with drinking was completely different the to my relationship with Polar drink. opposite, 100%. <laughs> I really just didn't drink that much, but I would really look forward to going out and drinking with my friends because I always had the mentality of I deserve it. Mm. But then the very next day I would – be chronically depressed and for someone that thinks that they deserve it and then I was doing myself favor I was actually really toying with my mental health but yeah my relationship was completely different and I'd say that like you Jill my mental health has changed drastically I think it surpasses even therapy for me (laughs) yeah well I mean we know about anxiety right so Mm. the way that alcohol breaks down in the body actually causes a chemical storm in the brain and it causes anxiety if you look up there's a piece i wrote for beyond blue we did a series called am i normal spoiler alert i'm not but none of us are so that's <laughs> yeah. fine look up beyond blue um, we'll put it in the show anxiety notes. yeah we'll send it we'll have a yeah. link to that so I, I wrote a piece about anxiety and what's actually happening in your brain the day after a binge drinking episode and sometimes not even binge drinking sometimes for me like the older i get the less it takes for me to feel right? shit right like that's like just the, that's just one of the added surprise gifts of growing older yeah is that everything hurts more mine was simply it got to the point where a glass of wine was yeah. affecting my mental yeah. health so i mean alcohol is a depressant and i used to talk about suicide tuesday which would be Monday I would get through, but Tuesday would be the day where it would really hit. And I could no longer – so just, just um, for the sake of clarity, I have been sober since end of June 2019. So I'm, what, six or seven months in Oh, my that. God. That's the same as me. Oh, okay. Beginning June, of June. June 28th. I'm the end yeah. of June. Oh, oh my so God, exactly. June 11th. Oh, my God, guys. Oh, like surprise sisters. <laughs> <laughs> now everyone's just turned off now. <laughs> so, yeah, I – since I – Stopped drinking in 2011 and that was meant to be three months. I wrote a piece about it in The Age, basically outing myself as the binge drinking health reporter. Led to this huge response, also led to a publisher offering me a book deal and saying, if you do this for a year, there's a book in it. And I was like, okay, signed the contract, walked out the door, wanted to go and get drunk to celebrate, but couldn't for nine months because I just signed a contract. To, so I, I saw it very much as an experiment back in 2011. Mm. It was a thing I was doing. And yeah, I had all these rewards and all the insights that I, I learned and I put them into the book High Sobriety. But I don't think I really grasped the mental health kind of aspect of it. What happened subsequently when High Sobriety came out it was a very successful book, much to my surprise. It was a dream come true to become an author. I was writing a high for a couple of years. And then sort of 2014, I hit a wall. I had 
a serious breakdown, which my psychologist has rebranded as a breakthrough, which I oh. am fully on board with because yeah. I'm awake now. But anyway, so I had this pretty serious breakdown, anxiety and depression, largely anxiety, but the anxiety got so bad that it made me depressed because it's so debilitating. I had to take five and a half months off work from the age. So that was, you know, 2014, 15. And it's in the last five years since I've been rebuilding myself. And I wrote another book, Happy Never After, about that journey. About I love that one. <laughs> yeah, I like that one too. <laughs> and over the years, I've sort of toyed with periods of sobriety. And I did go back to, to drinking after the year off, but I was a much more mindful kind of moderate drinker. But as the years crept in, old habits came back. Was find myself just drinking on every social occasion. There would never be an occasion where I'd say no. And I was just binge drinking and getting drunk. And the hangovers were hitting really hard again. And so my life is immeasurably better than it was when I had that meltdown in 2014 15. But the one thing that I couldn't get away from was that every crash that I was having, my suicide Tuesdays, my mental crash that would last for weeks at a time, could always be traced back to drinking. And I, I'm not saying it's the only thing that caused it, and I'm not saying sobriety is has in any way <laughs> solved my anxiety. It has certainly made it better, but I just couldn't ignore the link anymore. Like I've had, since I stopped drinking, the most stable and prolonged period of kind of good mental health that I've had in years. Until like this week I had a bit of a, a really shit week and I was a bit nervous about coming on here and talking about, oh, well, you know, my mental health is... It's been great since I've stopped drinking. But it's like, you know what? It's okay to have setbacks. And I think to myself how much harder this setback would be to cope with if I was hungover. And the other day when I was out with a friend and I was having dinner and I was so in such a bad state with anxiety, I was just crying at dinner, you know, like sitting in a restaurant just crying with my friend. Like, this is great. And, um, being vulnerable. Yeah, being vulnerable. And I looked at a, across a couple of women at another table drinking a glass of rosé and it was the first time in months that I just wanted, I wanted it so badly because I just was like, I just want this racing brain to slow down. And, you know, that first kind of glass of wine would do that for me. But it was the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth that would have the rebound effect. And as I say in high sobriety, like alcohol can take the edge off, but the next morning those edges are sharper and they cut you deeper. Mm. And that's what I, I feel with, for me, just drinking makes everything so much harder to cope with. I completely relate. The way it sort of feels in my brain is that I certainly will have mental health issues without alcohol and I will come up against roadblocks and I will fall in a hole every now and then. But alcohol to me was like every sip that I took was like putting a shovel in that ground and digging myself a little bit deeper and it became harder and harder to crawl myself out and it just got to the point where I didn't know if I could and the weirdest part is is that I would say that I still barely even tell people that I'm sober because I don't want to make a big deal of it because I feel like can't relate well yeah (laughs) because I I feel like then they're looking for some big story about me being an alcoholic and that's it you know some rock bottom rock bottom moment yeah Yeah. and okay I might have had rock bottoms like which was just crying to myself but I haven't done anything silly or it wasn't like boobs out at the bar or anything I would probably do that sober (laughs) you know it was nothing like that it was Every now and then I would have some alcohol and my mental health would suffer and there's really no other story. That is it. It was just that's enough though, isn't it? Yeah. I don't think we need to have a a, like isn't it isn't it great though, if you think about it, that you didn't have a rock bottom moment. That that you made that choice before you Mm. got to I mean, who's to say that that wasn't in your future if you continue Mm. like that? And I think it's just knowing yourself and for me I've had so much therapy that I kind of know myself in a way that I'd never have before and I have the voice that we all have that intuitive voice that we have that kind of tells us and I'm sure you had the same Bianca saying this has to change something has to change and you ignore it and you ignore it and you ignore it but sometimes it's just like I knew leading up to this decision that it was the right thing and I struggled with it and I all the same reasons oh you know I'm going to be a wiser and I'm going to be boring and all of that what will life be like without alcohol but wow like I get teary thinking about it but I feel like the life that I've always wanted is so close within my grasp like I'm right there and I'm and it just wouldn't have happened if I kept alcohol in the mix and people say well can't you just have a couple why do you have to go like 
What do you think about that? What are you going to do argument? if it's a, like a, a, at a wedding? Like, if you go to a wedding, will you not drink? Like, yeah, I was told like that I was cursing the marriage for not toasting at a wedding <laughs> with with toasting with orange juice rather than alcohol. <laughs> like, so no, weird, right yeah. <laughs> yeah. But sorry, but if their relationship is so flimsy, it can't survive my sobriety. Then could you imagine <laughs> ten yeah. years later, he's like, I'm leaving you, and they're like, sport. "Why is that?" He's like, "Well, Jill had orange juice in her glass <laughs> when she toasted us, and to be honest, things just haven't been the same." <laughs> I made this decision on my own. I'm sure my friends would have preferred I had stopped texting them and abusing them or, you know, getting drunk and not remembering things and, and them having to pick up the pieces of my mental health when I was in a, in yeah. a, in a crash. Is that what you say that now and you're like, I'm sure, you know, that that was annoying. But at the same time, like I feel I would wake up thinking I've made, I've done a terrible thing or, you know, I got out of control. I don't remember. But then I'm like, everyone else around me seems to have such a control on it and that I'm the only one with this problem, right? Like I really did feel that way. But then when you tell people I'm not drinking anymore, they get upset that you're not doing it. They're like, oh, see what, you're not going to drink with us anymore. And I'm like, so I don't understand. Either we're all on the same level and my behaviour isn't really that bad because maybe they feel the same way and maybe they woke up in a pool of shame as well, you know. Often if you're the biggest drinker in your friendship group, when you opt out of that, that leaves everyone else exposed. So, Absolutely. so it's sometimes good to have the fun drunk friend who is worse than you are and you excuse their yeah, kind that of, was me. And you yeah. were probably <laughs> that was me, yeah. I'm sorry to break no, 100% I But was. I think that Priyanka was yeah. at the top. She was the she yeah. was the queen, queen of drink, of the, yeah, the queen yeah. drunk. And so when Bianca it, stepped yeah. down off her throne, confronted. everyone yeah, else is like, pointing. Like, it's going to go up there. Everyone's pointing at each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, and also, I mean, alcohol for me, I don't know about you, but like that, that sense of waking up and just being wrapped in shame, this toxic sort of sense of regret and shame, and it's deep into your core. For me, I sort of worked through that in therapy as well. And alcohol was my fast track to shame. And shame was an emotion that I perversely liked to feel because the brain likes familiarity. It likes what's familiar. And it will try to drag us back to a place of familiarity, even if that familiarity is dysfunctional. And so for me, this idea of being a kind of helpless child, like, person in my in with my mental health journey it's all been about like I'm powerless I'm helpless I can't help myself I'm just a big mess alcohol is going to take me right there into that place of familiarity so for me stopping drinking was also like admitting as well that you know what I'm not a hopeless mess I'm not helpless I'm not broken the way that I've been telling myself for so long that idea of waking up shrouded in shame and going yep that's exactly right I've just proved my point right self-fulfilling prophecy so how then has that empowered you not going straight to alcohol and telling yourself that you're not like that well when you get through like I've just had a really tough week with anxiety and it's been yeah a good six or seven months since I've felt that and I've sort of traced the roots of that and figured out where it's come from but that wanting to have a drink and not is a really empowering decision and realizing that you can get through life's toughest moments without alcohol makes you feel strong in a way that I think and that's not to say I don't want people to hear this and go oh I use alcohol to cope with stress therefore I'm weak it's not what I'm saying just saying that when you when you take that crutch away and realize that you actually have an inner strength that you weren't allowing yourself to tap into because you never had to because you always reached for the glass of wine so for me it's just in realizing that I'm a lot stronger than I think and I'm just not feeling that shame anymore. It's such a relief. It's liberating. Knowing that my relationships aren't threatened in a way that they were before. Like I honestly think I was going to blow up at least one of my very close friendships because there was only so much that person could take, you know, of me saying and doing really dumb things. I think I was at risk of damaging my marriage Mm which I had not considered damaging any friendships because all of my friendships were sort of built on Mm. alcohol. So it had never occurred to me, you know, if someone did get drunk or if I did something stupid, it was sort of like water under the bridge because like, well, we were having a big one, whatever. But I think hearing from my husband, like your drinking affects me was the first time I'd ever heard it because hearing it from someone like my husband who I thought thought the world of me and hearing him say, you know, your drinking affects me was like, oh shit, okay, well now my drinking could actually affect something that I 
at someone that I love so much. And that was a really shit time for me because that's when I started to try and moderate and that's when the shame hit even because I can't twice as hard like that was you know waking up it's bad enough waking up in a pool of urine and telling your husband we have to move when at that point you don't think you have a problem Mm. but when he's told you I don't like this and you're trying to reel it back and then you realize hey can you move because I've wet the bed again and I know that you hate this about me fuck that is hard to take it's so hard and I think you know I I said earlier on in this conversation I don't consider myself an alcoholic and I don't but at the same time I'm like why do I still feel the need to say that like I, Mm. I feel like I'm I'm still defensive around that and I think what I would say to anyone who's thinking to themselves well that's not me because I'm not I'm not an alcoholic I'm not drinking vodka for breakfast you know I can mm-hmm. stop and all of that sort of stuff it's like it doesn't, you don't need to define what it is because the definition of addiction is when it starts to impair your relationships your work your mental health when you start to put alcohol above those things that you value that's when maybe it's time to think about a change. And so the way I see it now is for me, I probably won't drink again, but I don't know. Like I still haven't kind of made peace with the I'll never drink again kind of thing. And I'm like, well, I actually don't need to know the answer at the moment. I know this is the right decision for me. But I, I see my anxiety as as a chronic illness. It's an, a chronic illness that I can manage if I do the right things by myself. When I don't, I have a flare-up. And it's directly related to my choices. So one of the most simple choices I can make is to remove alcohol from the equation. There's all, lots of other things I do as well around exercise and meditation and journaling and all of that. But alcohol is, as you were saying, Annie, it's just like you're digging yourself a hole. Like why make it harder for yourself? This podcast was produced, edited and hosted by me, Annie Nolan and my best friend Bianca Thompson. Music by Pleasant Pictures Music. This week we want to thank Jill Stark for offering her time and expertise. You can find Jill's books including her book High Sobriety and also the details of her warrior to warrior workshops at her website jillstark.com.au Jill is also on Instagram and Facebook so go say hi. The next few episodes we are going to be shifting the focus of this alcohol mini-series a little off ourselves and shining a light on how it affects others and society so make sure you keep in touch with our social media channels for dates on instagram we are at we want to be better facebook we are we want to be better and come join our closed group and forum at ww2bb community group just make sure you fill in the questions so we know that the podcast sent you thanks for listening have fun be safe and maybe don't hand your depressed mate a glass of wine